Hey everyone, so I wonder what your experience of high school was like. I know that for many people, high school was brutal. And I know it's weird that just a few years in high school can sometimes mess us up for the rest of our lives. And so I don't know what it was like for you, but maybe you've seen the following scene unfold. And the, the scene is maybe typical of an American high school scene, but we've seen it in the movies, we've seen it in the TV shows, where the new kid arrives in the cafeteria and they don't know anyone. And so they're looking around the cafeteria and over there are kind of the, the jocks and the popular girls and over there are the punk rock kids and the skaters and over there are the stoners and over there are the geeks and they don't know where they fit in so they go and sit on their own. And the reason why I'm referring to this is because for many people this is what the church world feels like. Um, I'm reading a book at the moment called The Anatomy of Deconversion, where this guy, John Marriott, is studying all these deconversion stories because so many people are choosing to leave the faith at this time. And while each story is very unique, there are a number of common factors. And one of them is that they've experienced the church world like this. They kind of either grew up in this world and they want to be part of this world, but then they start seeing this church dissing this church and this church church throwing shade on that church and then you get online and then you just see these Christians who are spitting mad and they're angry and they're really showing just such division whether it be between churches or online and they at some point conclude I don't want anything to do with that. Now I know I've been talking about high school so I apologize for raising traumatic memories but the reason I bring this up is because we're doing a new series called Jesus' Last Words. It's based on Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Jesus is about to die. Jesus is about to be arrested and crucified. And so there's a weightiness and importance to what he chooses to pray in this moment. Now we're on week three. In week one, we saw that Jesus chooses to start off by praying for the glory of God and for his glory. And the challenge, therefore, is how you and I can orientate our lives around the glory of God. And then last week, we saw that Jesus prays for his disciples, specifically his first group of 12 disciples and Craig challenged us what it means to be a disciple in this world today. Then we're going to see in this week that Jesus is not only praying for those disciples, but he's praying for you and he's praying for me. Now again, this is his final high priestly prayer. What is he going to pray for? Maybe you know this passage, but for those who don't, what is the first thing that he's going to pray for when it comes to praying for you and praying for me? And maybe the answer is going to blow your mind. So let's read together John chapter 17 verses 20 onwards. This is what Jesus prays. My prayer is not for them alone. In other words, I'm not just concerned about the 12 disciples that were with me. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That means Jesus is now praying for you and he's praying for me and all other believers. This is what he prays for. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Okay, so I want to make sure you get this. Jesus is praying his final high priestly prayer. And out of the millions of things that he could have prayed for, for all of the billions of followers of Christ that would follow, the thing he chooses to pray for in this moment is our unity. Now, before I dive in, I want to kind of show that there's a bit of an inner logic here. First of all, Jesus is praying concerning the unity in his divinity. The fact that he and the Father are one. And then he prays for us being included in this unity and the unity of his divinity. And only then does he pray for the unity between each other. So he's saying, I and the Father are one. He is in me. I am in him. So there's this unity within the divinity. And then he's praying that you and I are included in this community. And then because you are included and you are included and you are included and you are included now all of you should be able to experience a supernatural amount of unity. You see, Jesus doesn't start off by just saying, come on, guys, kumbaya, can't you all just get along? No, he starts off with this unity within himself that we all now share. And because of that unity, we should have and experience unity as God's people. Now, if we didn't kind of follow that logic, if we didn't start where Jesus starts, we are very likely to make something else our point of primary unity. A style of music, a way of doing church, a way of dressing as church, a way of being passionate about this thing or that thing or that thing. And I think we can all agree that maybe that is one of the primary reasons that we're not seeing the kind of unity that Jesus is praying for. So today, we're going to emphasize the unity that God himself experiences and the unity that you and I are called to experience with him. Which means, I'm going to be honest on the front end, we're going to do some great theology today. But I really, instead of that pushing you away, I want you to lean in. Because if we understand who God is and who you are, are that becomes the most powerful foundation for our unity and we are going to get super practical in the weeks to come so in verse 21 jesus prays may all of them be one father just as you are in me and i am in you and so the starting point for our unity is divine unity now, this is one of the things that makes Christianity unique in this statement. Most other religions have a prophet which have some insight into some kind of quasi-divine philosophy or they claim some revelation about who God is, but they're not claiming to be one with God. 
Yet Jesus comes along and he claims to be one with God. And not in some kind of new agey sense. We're all one with the divine and we're one with everything. And I'm one with the moon and the stars and the puppies. No, in a Jewish sense, he's saying, you know the God of Abraham? And you know the God of Moses who appeared at the top of Mount Sinai? And you know the God of David and the God of the prophets? I am one with that God. Now, at some point, if we think about that, our minds should start hurting. So maybe you say, Stephen, explain that to me. How can Jesus, who prays to the Father, at the same time be one with the Father? And here's the thing, I can't explain it. We're trying to understand an infinite God, and you and I only have finite minds. There are a couple of metaphors out there where people have tried to say, this is kind of like how the Trinity works, or this is kind of how Jesus and the Father are one. I'm not even going to try with any of those metaphors because they fall apart. We're using, using created things to explain an uncreated being, or we're creating, we're using physical things to try say what a metaphysical being is like. And so all of these metaphors are going to fall apart. But here is the point. God is, in His very nature, God is unity in diversity in community. God is unity in diversity in community. This is who God is. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in their diversity and unity and community is who God is. This is the divine essence. John, in one of his later books, he says that God is love. God is love. And the first thing that he means by that is not necessarily that God loves us so much. The thing he means by that is God is love. He has forever been in community. He has forever been the Father loving the Son and the Spirit. He has forever been in community. And so out of the love of this community, He loves us. This is an outworking of the fact that God in His nature is love. And then Jesus prays, May they be one, just as we are. Or one, And so God's very nature is the foundation for our unity. But then he moves on in verse 21 and prays, may they also be in us. All right. So we've got this unity and diversity in community. That's who God is. And now Jesus is saying, may those who trust us, may those who believe in us, may they also be included in this eternal community of love. This gets at the heart of what a Christian is. If I had to ask you, what is a Christian? There's kind of two main ways we can answer that question. We can answer it sociologically, meaning someone gets a form and they need to indicate what religion they are. So they're like, well, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Hindu. Don't think I'm an atheist. I kind of know the words of amazing grace. I once was lost, now I'm found. I know the Lord's prayer. And if I look at the schoolyard of the different religions and groups, yeah, I think I identify with the Christians more than anybody else. So I'm a Christian. Now that's a sociological way of understanding who Christians are. 
But then there's the biblical way of understanding what a Christian is. And the Bible uses a number of ways to describe what we are. But here Jesus is saying a Christian is, and this is a scandal of what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who is in God and God is in them. This is not just an idea. This is something that if we could somehow see and perceive reality the way God sees and perceives reality, I don't know if this is, you know, the, the, the 20th dimension or whatever, but somehow there is an actual reality whereby Christians are those people who are in God and God is in them. And so Ephesians 3.17 talks about Christ dwelling in our hearts. Colossians 1.27 talks about Christ in us, the hope of glory. These are verses we've heard before and they start to feel like cliche. But think about the scandal of what that claim is all about. We are in God and God is in us. And so here's the essence of all of this theology. The unity that God enjoys within himself, Jesus wants with us and for us. The unity that God enjoys within himself, Jesus wants with us and for us. Oh, and by the way, in this prayer, this is what Jesus calls eternal life. For many people, eternal life is what I get. I pray the magic prayer. I get the get out of jail free card. I get my spiritual heavenly insurance. And then one day when I die, I get to go to heaven. Now there is some partial truth in that. But that is not how Jesus defines eternal life. Listen to how he defines eternal life and how that connects to this part of his prayer. He says, now this is eternal life. He's praying for us that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, Jesus is describing what our unity with God means. God is life. He is the uncreated one. All life, including biological life, comes from Him as the only true source of life. He is the uncreated one. We are the created ones. Our life is contingent on His life as the source of life. And not only biological life, which is temporal, it has a beginning and an end, but eternal life, the eternal quality of, let's call it, God life. And so Jesus is saying that because we in our eternal community of love experience and enjoy that kind of life, when someone joins in this eternal community of life, they too get to experience the quality of this life because they are in relationship with us, because they are in us and we are in them. And as an outcome, one of the qualities of this life is that it is eternal. It has no beginning or no end. And that is the basis for eternal life. So for Jesus in this prayer, eternal life is something experienced and received as an outcome of being in relationship with him both today and forever. Now listen. I think this is amazing. I think for so many people see Christianity as another religion where God is up there with his arms folded and he just wants us to be good, well-behaved little boys and girls. Whereas the way he defines eternal life 
is he wants life for us. He wants life for us. He wants us to participate in what he knows and enjoys both today in some foretaste kind of way and forever. All right, so I know this may have felt like a theological lecture and kind of sorry, not sorry for that. I hope you're still with me. But this has implications. Now, if you're married, not everyone acts like they're married. So there's an objective reality. Whether you wear the ring or not, there's a ring and a piece of paper that proves you're married. That's the objective reality. But when you look at people's lives, they don't always live out experientially what is true of them objectively. So this can look like infidelity. This can look like having an affair. This can also look like just working against the unity that marriage ought to be. So it's me versus you. It's my friends versus your friends. It's always my ideas versus your ideas. And so in observing that kind of a marriage, you're not seeing experientially the kind of unity that actually is objectively true of the fact that they are married. And in the same way, we are united with Christ. But we don't always live that way. We don't always experientially live as if we are united to God. And so Jesus is saying, for those who are biblical Christians, you are united with me. But you need to live that out. Not just amongst each other, but first and foremost with me. You need to learn to experience and express this unity you have with me. The practical few thoughts that I'm going to give you now are not going to make you united with Christ. Our faith in Christ and his saving power is what makes us united with him. But there are things that can push us into a deeper experience and expression of our unity with him. So first and foremost, let's talk about spiritual practices. Jesus says in John 15 verses 4, he says, remain in me. Some translations say abide in me, remain in me, choose to remain in me, choose to move towards me, choose to experience and express the unity that I have with you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruits unless you remain in me. Now, there are things that we can do that can move us further into this abiding or this remaining relationship with Jesus. We are already united with him, but we want to experience that unity in greater degrees. And we want to express that unity in greater degrees. And some of the means by which we get to do that are things that we see in scripture that move us deeper into this unity. And some people have called them spiritual disciplines. Now, maybe you don't like that word discipline. Let's call them spiritual practices. This would include prayer. This would include reading the Bible, studying scripture. This would include meditating on scripture. This would include silence and fasting and community. And I certainly don't have time to go into all of these things. But the goal of spiritual practices is not in the spiritual practice itself. But the spiritual practice is a means by which we experience and express our unity with Jesus. And here's where I think these spiritual practices can fall apart. I think one of the biggest forks in the road here is the difference between a transactional approach to spiritual practices 
versus a relational approach. So let's talk about prayer for an example. I think approach is everything. Approach is everything. If I take a transactional approach to prayer, it looks something like this. I pray to get something out of God or I pray to get God to do something. So in other words, the major reason why I'm praying is because I want God to give me something or to do something for me. So what happens when God doesn't give me what I ask for? Or what I pray for. What what happens to me and my faith and my prayer life when God isn't doing what I want Him to do. And I don't always mean the selfish reasons. But I want God to heal this person. I want God to fix this problem. And in my experience, He doesn't answer the prayers the way I ask Him. What do I do with my prayer life? I put it down. I stop praying. And in its worst form, I walk away from it all. That's the transactional approach but the relational approach is what Jesus is praying for in John 15 in John 17 when he's saying abide in me remain in me the reason the primary reason the approach we ought to have in prayer is not to get stuff from God or to get him to do things but to know him to experience and to express us being in this divine relationship of love. And just like any relationship, if I think about me and my wife, we've been married almost 15 years. And in some cases, it's taking me 15 years to know certain qualities about who she is, what is in her heart, what is uniquely her. How can I work with that and not against that? How can I at times even predict what she needs and what she wants so that I can partner with her? And in the same way, as I get to know an infinite God, I'm going to start to know and understand his heart. My heart is going to be transformed. My life is going to become more aligned with his life and his will. And eventually the things I'm asking for are increasingly over much time going to be the things that are his will. And so, yes, as an outcome of this relationship, there are going to be things he gives me. There are going to be things he does for me. And even as I ask them, but it's born out of a relationship. The same could be true of a transactional way to reading scripture. Many people, and again, there's some truth in this. The primary reason they read the Bible is they want their daily devotional fix. I want to read something that makes me feel awesome about myself or makes me feel spiritual. And that's the transaction that I want from the Bible today. But then what happens when we get to Romans? What happens when we get to Leviticus or a strange book like Daniel or Ezekiel? I don't get my daily devotional spiritual high. So I put the Bible down. However, if I approach God's word in the relational way, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 15 verses 7. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, if I see one of the primary approaches of Scripture is that I am wanting to remain in Jesus so that His words, His words are remaining in me and that His words are helping me know Him even if I don't fully understand them, even if I don't fully see what's going on, I'm going to persevere because my approach is not to get my daily spiritual fix. My approach is to know this infinite God. 
That gives me incredible strength and perseverance for having God's word remain in my heart so that I can know him. That's the relational approach. So spiritual practices are going to help us express and experience our unity in God. Uh, The second category that I'm going to speak about today, I know I'm going to sound like such a typical pastor, but I base this not on what I want. I base this on God's word. And the second way that we can actively experience and express our unity with God is by participating, actively participating in your local church. You see, the church by definition is not the thing that happens on Sunday morning or the building down the street. The church by definition, not my definition, God's definition, is all of those people who are in Him. All of those people who are in Him. He calls that group of people the church. Now, not everyone is expressing that. Not everyone is experiencing that side But after all, the Bible calls the church the body of Christ. And when we are not actively participating in that, let me tell you, it is a fallacy to believe that I can get everything that I want to get out of God, me and him alone in my room. I want to eliminate these troublesome and hurtful people. And I understand that side of it. But the way God has set this up, The way Jesus defines and describes this is that by actively participating in the church, we become participants of him, from him and with him. And so when I serve, I'm not just providing kind of human energy and works of service. I am somehow participating with God and God deposits something in me and through me. And when I receive, whether it's someone praying for me or caring for me or teaching me like this, or we're worshiping together and people are serving me, not only at a human level are people serving me, but God, because they are in him and he is in them, and because he is at work in this world, he is doing something in me through others or in others through me. And this isn't restricted to Sunday morning. It's part of the picture. This includes all we do. We are always the church. And I know and I understand COVID has made this so, so, so difficult. Not only do we miss church at a human level. Maybe some of you don't miss church at the human level. But at a higher level, we are missing out on so much of what God wants to do in our lives because of our inability to be fully the church at this time. However, let me say this, you are still the church and therefore you don't have to wait for a Sunday meeting. You don't have to wait for a Bible study. You don't have to wait for a program to start before you can be and do and express the church. You get to do that every single day. You get to be on mission every day with God. You see, even when we're on mission, whether we're serving our neighbors or the people in our family or we're praying for someone in the streets or uh, at the till or whatever the case might be, whether we're joining branch out, some of the things we are doing together or some of the things that you're partnering with, we're not just doing this for God, we're doing this with God. 
It's part of experiencing and expressing our unity with God. Jesus says in John 5, 17, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. We don't just work for God, we work with God. A third way that we can experience and express our unity with God, this might sound like a strange one, but is in baptism and communion. Baptism and communion all too often are seen at the human level. But see how the Bible describes them. Romans 6 verses 4, and speaking about baptism, says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism doesn't make us united with Christ, but because we are united with Christ, and because we want to experience that and express that, Baptism is one of the ways that shows how we were united with him, even in his death, and therefore in his life. And for that reason, if you haven't been baptized as a believer, I want to strongly encourage you to get baptized. Go onto our YouTube channel, Riverside Community SA. There are a number of videos, there's a short one and a longer one on baptism to answer some more of your questions. But this is not about jumping through a church hoop. This is not about making your mom and dad happy or pleasing me or doing something because you're a people pleaser and that's what the pastor said, so I'm going to do it. This is a way, a biblically powerful way to experience and express our unity with God and communion in the same thing. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 16 says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation? In the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? We don't just eat bread and drink juice. Somehow, as these symbols point toward the body and blood of Christ, somehow, in a very powerfully real spiritual way, we are participating in the blood and the body of Christ. And once again, COVID has made this hard. I mean, we were in the middle of a baptism course. And then level four hit us. And everyone started getting really sick. And so we've had to postpone that. Communion doesn't look the way it used to look. And yet, biblically, these are some powerful ways that we can experience and express our unity with God. So over the next few weeks, we're also going to talk about what this unity looks like as a church, and with other Christians outside of our local church. But again, I want to end off by affirming this is of highest importance. Out of the millions of things that Jesus could have prayed for, this is the thing. This is the thing that he chose to pray for in his last high priestly prayer. Now remember, being a Christian isn't just saying I'm a Christian, being a Christian by definition is someone that I am united with God in Christ and they are therefore with me. So that's the theory of who I am or what I am as a Christian. But this theory needs to look like something. This theory needs to express itself. And so my question is, are you 
not just somehow a Christian in this reality, but are you experiencing and are you expressing your unity with God in Christ? I'm so concerned that many of you have tried or are trying the transactional approach to Christianity. I'm doing things, I'm praying, I'm reading the Bible, I'm part of a small group, I'm going to church to get things out of it. And then when I'm hurt, when the Bible doesn't say what I want it to say, when God doesn't answer me the way I want him to answer me, I didn't get the transaction that I hoped I would get, and therefore I abandon that. I want to encourage you to take the relational approach to experiencing and expressing your unity. That means even if I don't fully understand the word, even if I get to some tricky sections, not only can people help me through that, but these are the words of God that are going to help me know Him. And just like in any long-distance, long-term friendship or marriage, there are going to be times where you really need to push in in order to go to deeper levels of your unity in your friendship or your marriage. In the same way, I push in. And then I, I get hurt by a Christian or I feel let down by somebody. And the Bible is quite honest. That's going to happen. But I get to lean into God. I get to lean into His love. I get to lean into His grace. I get to express His forgiveness that I experience in community with Him. And then I get to express that to this person who has hurt me. And that comes out of this relationship, not by abandoning the means by which we express and experience our unity with God, but by focusing my approach on knowing Him. So I want to pray for you because at the end of the day, this is what Jesus is doing. And so Jesus, I thank you that you pray for us. And we are so challenged that the main thing that you pray for is our unity. But primarily our unity with you. And so Lord, I know that for myself, I'm so often guilty of treating my relationship with you as a transaction. I have this need. I have this hurt. I have this burden. And I want to put my prayer coin in the magic slot. And I want to get certain things from you. And when I do that Lord. I know I get confused. I know I get hurt. And when I take that approach to the other spiritual disciplines. When I take that approach to the people in my life. And to church. Equally I, I get disillusioned and let down. But Jesus, you are inviting us primarily to enjoy what you enjoy. This unity in diversity and community of love. And so, Father, help me change my approach. Help me lay down my approach. Help me recognize that some of these spiritual practices are more about helping me experience you and unity with you. And some of these other spiritual things like participating in your body by taking communion, by being baptized, I get to experience and express you and the unity that I have for you. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that even now, you are actively speaking and working. You are convicting, you are making clear, you are directing. You are calling us to lay down certain ideas that we have and adopt what is true. But I pray too that at the experiential level, that we will be encouraged by the unity that we have in, with God in Christ. So Holy Spirit, help us. Help us. And so Lord, I pray all of these things for your glory. And in the name of Jesus, amen.